Well, this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to try to explain why our church is so different than the churches that we have here in Tahlequah. I know that we are different, and I, I want you to understand that we're not different if you go to big cities. If you go to some of the larger cities, you'll find a lot of churches that are just like us. But here in Tahlequah, we kind of stick out like a sore thumb. And when you compare us to those churches, some people go, I don't know about that. And you know, I, I want you to understand that we like being this way. We've intentionally chosen to be different. You see, when Lisa and I first planted Cornerstone Fellowship here in Tahlequah in 1987, there were already 86 churches in the Tahlequah area. So you might be wondering why in the world did we decide to put a church or to plant a church here in Tahlequah in an area that has more than enough churches. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because Lisa and I realized that there was a need here. Now, I'm not being judgmental, but the majority of churches in Tahlequah are very traditional. That means they do the same things the same way every year, year after year. And Lisa and I realized that Tahlequah needed a church that was a little bit different. A church that was willing to try new things and creative ways to reach people. Now, I'm not saying that at times we don't fall into the trap of doing things the way that everyone else does them. But it seems like every time that we do that, the Holy Spirit kind of shakes us up and says, now wait a minute, I have called you to do things differently. Now, I want you to understand that we're not trying to be different just to be different. We're different because we want to reach more people. We want to be more effective at reaching people that normally would not go to church. And we have our critics. We have those that think that we're a cult simply because I preach in blue jeans and I don't tuck my shirt in. We have those who criticize our style of music and the, t and the uh, topics that I preach on. They don't like the fact that we get out at 11 o'clock and we beat everyone to the restaurants. They don't like the fact that we don't have services on Sunday nights. I can remember when the Lord told me that you need to stop Sunday nights. That's a time of family, a time of rest. You want people to be excited to come to church on Sunday mornings. And so I got up and I said, we're not going to have church on Sunday nights anymore. And you wouldn't believe the negative feedback I got from people in our church. But it was from those who never came to church on Sunday nights. They just didn't want to have to admit that they went to a church that didn't have services on Sunday nights. We have people who don't like the fact that we use secular music to get our point across. In fact, you know, we are different. I'll tell you how I know we're so different. We actually have four different generation of adults. We have those that are 65 and older. We have those that are between the ages of 50 and 65. We have those from 30 to 50. And then we have those that are 30 and under. What's kind of interesting is each generation of adults wants their own type of music. Now, because we are a different church and we're trying to reach people who are not in the habit of going to church, let me tell you, our music is not over here for the older generations. Our music, can you tell, is over here for the younger generations. So let me explain how different we are from other churches. I had a young minister who goes to a uh, very conservative church, that's all I'll say, who came to see me one day, set up an appointment, came to my office, and he said, I just want to talk with you. He said, our church is literally dying. And when I say dying, I mean dying. We don't have any young people. All we have is older people. And it says, about once a year we get together and we try to brainstorm on how we can attract younger people and we come up with all these ideas and then we implement them for one week. After that service, all of the older people get upset. They come to us and say, we don't want to go there and we don't do that. And so now, my congregation is literally dying off. I see the day when we're going to have to literally close the doors on our church. 
And I didn't say anything, but I thought to myself, well, we are different. Because when we brainstorm, we have to brainstorm, how do we keep older people coming to our church? How do we do things in a way that we won't run the older people off? And that's the way we think. You know, there are people who don't like the, the, the fact that we use video clips to illustrate a point. And you know, I could go on and on with all the things that people don't like about our church, but I want you to understand something. God has called us to do things differently. And we're doing exactly what the Bible says we're to do. That's right. We are very scriptural in what we do, and I'm going to show you why I say that. I want you to turn with me today to the book of James chapter 1. I'm going to zero in on a verse that every one of you are familiar with. In fact, if you grew up in church, you probably have heard hundreds of sermons on this verse. James chapter 1, verse number 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, I want you to underline the word doers. That word is translated from the Greek word poietes, and it means more than simply being a doer. You see, poietes was the word that the Greeks used for poets or anyone who was creative, especially in the arts. In fact, our English word poet is actually transliterated from this Greek word. So the word poietes carries with it the idea of creativity or artistic expression. So poietes describes a person who does things with creative flair, or artistic expression. Does that make sense? A poetes, a doer, isn't someone who just does things. It's someone who does things with creativity. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper, if you don't mind, because if I don't go deeper, you won't understand what James is truly trying to say here. So, let me do that. Poietes is one of three words from the same cognate group. Now, don't let the word cognate throw you. Cognate simply means related in origin. So what I'm saying is poietes is one of three words with the same root of origin. Now, let me show you those three words if you don't mind. You've got poieo, you've got poietes. Sigma's a little bit different once the end. And then you've got poiema. All three of those words come from the same root of origin. And that same root of origin is the word poi. If you notice, all three of them start with poi. Poi means to do or make. And that's what poi means. Now, poieo is a verb. It means to do or to make. Poietes is a noun. It refers to the person who is doing or making something. But not just any person, it refers to a person who does things with creative flair or artistic expression. He's a poet. Poema is also a noun. It's a really interesting word because it refers to the product. It refers to what someone's made or done, but it's more than just a product. It's the product of a poet, a person with creative flair and artistic expression. So a poema is a work of art or a masterpiece. In fact, our English word poem comes from this word. In fact, if we come in and we just take off the suffix of poietes and the suffix of poema, we get poet. It was the Greek word for poet. But a poet wasn't what we think of when we say poet. We think of a poet as someone who always comes up with words that rhyme. They write 
points. But you see, for the Greeks, a poet was any type of artist, anyone who made any type of masterpiece. And then you have poema, which is poem. They had the word poem, and that referred to the work of art that the poet made. So this is poet, and this is poem, and this refers to what the poet makes. He makes a poem. Now, is everyone with me so far? Yes. All right, good. Now, let me show you an example in the Bible of what I'm talking about. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse number 10. This verse says that we are his workmanship. Who does his refer to? God. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I want you to underline the word workmanship. Workmanship is translated from the Greek word poema. Poema. Now, remember, the word is more than just a product of someone's work. It's the product of a poet. A person with creative flair and artistic expression. So a poema is a work of art. It's a masterpiece. So when they translated poema as workmanship, they really didn't do it justice. What this verse is really saying is that you are God's handcrafted work of art. You are not an assembly line product. You are a custom designed, one of a kind, original masterpiece. God deliberately shaped and formed you in a special way. He created you with special gifts talents, and abilities to be able to do what he has called you to. So we are the poema, and God is the poietes. We are the poem, and God is the poet. We are the work of art, and God is the artist. Now do you understand what poietes means? It's not just a doer. It's a person who does things with creative flair or artistic expression. It's an artist. Someone who makes things come alive through creativity. Let me say that again. It's someone who makes things come alive through creativity. And I don't mean literally alive, I mean figuratively. How many of you have ever gone to a museum and you've seen a great picture? Someone painted this picture and you look at it and you go... That looks so real. It's like they brought this to life. Or maybe you saw a sculpture. Maybe you saw a piece of marble and someone had sculpted something and you looked at that and you said, that just looks so real. How do they do that? It's like it came alive. That poet produced a poem. That person actually took something and made it come alive through their creativity. And now that we know that, I want you to go back to the book of James, and I want you to see what he's really trying to tell us. Look at verse number 22, back in James chapter 1. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now, if we simply take that at fast face value, it's telling us to do what the word says. And most of the time, that's easy to do, because the word of God is pretty straightforward. The word says, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't cheat. Honor your parents. I can do that. That's pretty simple. I really don't have to think about it. When a lie comes out, oh, I didn't do what the Word of God says. I told a lie. I need to tell the truth. 
And so those type of things are very easy to do. But sometimes doing what God says isn't that easy. It actually requires some thought. You have to really think about it. And let me give an example. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse number 44, Jesus told us to bless those that curse us. Now let's talk about what it means to bless someone, and let's talk about what it means to curse. The word curse is actually translated from the Greek word kataomahi, and it means to wish evil upon a person. That's what you mean by curse. I wish evil upon a person. If you tell someone to go to heck, and it's not heck that you use, you know, that's a curse. You're wishing bad upon that person. Now, Jesus told us, that we are to bless those that curse us. Now the word bless is translated from the Greek word eulageo. Eulageo is actually a compound word. That means it's made up of more than one word. In this case, it's made up of two. The prefix you, which means good. Most of you have been here long enough to know that. And the root word lageo, which means to speak. Now when we combine these two words together, it literally means to speak good. So the word eulageo means to praise or to pray for God's blessing upon someone. But it also has a second meaning. It can also mean to bestow a blessing upon a person through a specific act. In other words, to do something nice for them. How many of you have ever had someone do something really nice for you, and you made this comment? Well, they really blessed me. I want to be a blessing to them because they blessed me. That is that word, eulageo. It means that you're bestowing a blessing on a person through a specific act. You're being nice to that person. Now, let's be honest. When Jesus told us to bless those that curse us, someone who curses us wishes that evil will come upon us. So we could, we could actually say they're an enemy. They want bad things to happen to us. And Jesus comes along and says, I want you to bless those who wish bad to come upon you. I want you to bless your enemies. Now, let me tell you, that requires some thought and some creativity. Think about it. Suppose you have a coworker who doesn't like you, and that coworker does everything they can to irritate you, and they do everything they can to get you fired, to get you in trouble with the boss. Well, Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to bless those that curse you. I want you to bless that coworker. I want you to pray for God's blessing upon them, and I want you to do something nice for them. I'm going to be honest with you, that requires a little bit of thought. Hmm, what nice thing can I do for this person who's trying to get me fired? Well, you're going to have to put some thought into it. You might have to get creative because you don't really want to do that, but you realize Jesus wants you to do that, and he told you in the book of James to be a doer of the word. So now you're going to have to get creative on how to bless this person who wishes evil upon you. And that's why James used the word poetes instead of another word like egates. You see, by using the word poetes instead of egates, he was telling us that if we can't immediately think of a way to do what God has told us to, then we need to get creative. We need to find a way to do the word. Now let me say that again because that's very, very important. You will not understand what James is saying here in chapter 1, verse number 22, unless you catch what I just said, so let me repeat it. By using the word poietes instead of irgates, he was telling us that if we cannot immediately think of a way to do what God's told us to, then we need to get creative. We need to find a way to do the word. 
James is not going to let you off the hook. Sometimes we're reading in our Bible and something jumps out at us and it says we ought to do this and we can't think of a way to do it and so we just write it off. If I can't immediately think of a way of fulfilling what God tells me to do, then I don't do it. Sorry God, but you didn't give me anything to do. James says no. If you cannot immediately think of a way of fulfilling what God has told you to do, then you need to get creative. You need to find a way to do God's Word. Now, I'm going to use our church as an example to illustrate what I'm talking about. Jesus was teaching parables in the book of Luke, the 14th chapter, in Matthew 22, and he told this parable. It's the parable of the marriage feast. In the parable of the marriage feast, he told us to go into the highways and the byways and compel people to come into the kingdom of God. Basically, that is a command to the church. We are to go into the highways and the byways and we are to compel people to come into the church or come into an outreach so we can present the gospel to them in the hope that they will be saved. Now, in the good old days, how did you do that? You held a revival. You brought an evangelist in. Everyone invited their neighbors and their friends and those people would show up because there was really nothing to do for entertainment. These are the days before television and even when you had television, you only had three channels and it was poor programming. You didn't have Dish or Direct or cable TV. You went and visited your neighbors and you sat on the porch. So when a good evangelist came to town, everyone in town went to church. This was entertainment, something to do in the evening. But people, that no longer works. People won't come to a revival. I look at these little bitty churches holding revivals and I'll drive past it. And yes, they've got more cars than normal, but it simply means that everyone that goes to that church has been guilted and condemned into coming. And so they show up. So how do we compel people today to come into the kingdom of God? How do we get people to come to church or an outreach so that we can present the gospel to them in the hope that they will be saved? Well, James chapter 1 verse 22 told us that we need to be a poet of the word. We need to be art, an artist. We need to get creative. And people, we've done that. We've done some very creative things in the past to attract people in order to share the gospel with him.
And that's the condensed version. You know, because of time, we haven't shown everything that we've done. But I want you to understand here at Cornerstone Fellowship, we take very seriously the command to go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, to come into the kingdom of God. And we take very seriously what James said in chapter 1, verse 22, to be a doer of the word. We realize that if we're going to fulfill what God has told us to do to compel people to come in, we're going to have to get creative. And so our staff members sometimes will get together and we'll brainstorm for an entire morning or for a whole afternoon. And we start looking at this and we start asking questions. Will this get people to come in? What could we do? And in the past, we've done Halloween carnivals. And I can remember the very first Halloween carnival that we ever did. I really couldn't get the church to buy into it. Even my wife wasn't quite sure that it would work. And so basically I went down and, and I started working on this all by myself. And I had a few people that thought, oh, bless his heart. Look at what he's doing. Well, I feel guilty. I'll go down and help him. And so they came in and they helped us. And we probably had about 1,800 people come to the very first Halloween carnival that we ever did. And at that time, we just closed down the games at a certain time. We brought them into our auditorium and we presented the gospel through drama. And we had about 300 people raise their hands to accept Jesus Christ. And from that year on, we just continued to do other Halloween carnivals up to the time that we realized that people had caught on. So they would no longer go to see the drama because they realized we were going to present the gospel and they didn't want that conviction. And so it got harder and harder to do that. And so one day we stopped the Halloween carnival. And people came up to us, oh, it was such a success. and said, well, we judge success differently than you. The whole reason that we were doing this is so we could get people to come, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, so they could be saved. That's why we did it. We, we brainstorm all the time on how can we get people to come, and when we have them, how can we present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them? We thought of bringing a Christian magician into our town, where hopefully we could get into the schools and do an assembly, and he would do his magic show. And he wouldn't mention Jesus or God, but then he would invite the kids afterward. I'm going to be doing a, a magic show, and he would tell them whether we rented the Performing Arts Center or whether or not we could get them here. And then as they come here for the big magic show, then he presents the gospel through what he's doing. And then we come out and do an altar call. We thought of bringing in professional skateboarders to share the gospel because middle schoolers love doing that. Let's bring someone in. Let's have them come up. Let's do a workshop. We invite all these kids. We're going to have this professional coming in. And then as we, at, at the very end of that workshop, we come in and we present the gospel of Jesus Christ to those kids. I've even contacted Tim Tebow just to humiliate you, OU fans. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> just teasing. Seriously, I talked to his father. We've corresponded a little bit. He now has uh, an agent or a manager, so basically we'd have to go through. Why would you do that, Pastor Allen? Because I believe there's people who don't go to church that would come to hear Tim Tebow speak. As he comes in, he speaks, he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? Because James told us to be a doer of the word. Not an ergates. An ergates is a worker. Someone that goes out and he does just exactly what he's supposed to do. He doesn't put any thought into it. He doesn't think about it. He just says, oh, I'm supposed to do this. And if it takes any type of thought, he stops. He didn't call us to be an ergates. He called us to be a poietes. So if we can't do it one way, James is telling us then we need to get creative and do it another way. But one way or another, we are to do what God has told us to 
We are to be a doer of the word. We are to be a poet, an artist, someone who does things creatively, someone who makes things come alive and attracts people so that we can produce the poem, we can produce a work of art, and at that point the gospel is presented and we're able to win people to Jesus Christ. That's what our church is doing. Now, let me give you an example to show you how you can personally apply this to your life. Because when, when James wrote this in James chapter 1, verse number 22, he said, be a doer of the word. He was talking to you. He wants you not to just be an ergates. You're reading the word and you go, oh, I'm supposed to do this. I can't see a way to do that. And you just keep going. No. He wants you to come to this and God says to do this. Then he wants you to think about it and meditate on it and get creative. So let me give you an example in how to do this in your personal life. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read verses 6 and 7. It says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. In other words, you ingrain the Word of God into your children so by, that by the time they're grown up, they will not depart from the way of the Lord. That's what God told us to do. That is a command in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, to every parent. Now, years ago, this was easy because, because uh, children spent the majority of time with their parents. In the Jewish culture, the boys would go with their fathers to learn the family business. They'd go to work with him. And the girls spent the day with their mother learning how to be a wife and a godly mother. So all during the day, the parents had the ability to talk to their children about the Word of God and to apply all of the principles to what they were doing. But people, those days are gone. Our culture has changed so much that we're not able to do it the way they did it in the past. Today's kids spend the majority of their time at school and after school in ex extracurricular activities. And trust me, they're not learning about the Word of God. So how do you do what Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 6 and 7 says, or 7 and 8 says? How do, you be, how do you become a doer of the word and obey Deuteronomy chapter 6? Well, I know some of you are thinking, I don't know, Pastor. Tell me how. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Why? Because James told you to be a doer of the word. He told you to be a poietes. He told you that if you cannot immediately think of a way to do that, then you need to meditate on it. You need to get creative. You need to sit down and say, how can I do this? Sit down with your spouse and think of creative ways to do what Deuteronomy says. Come up with creative ways to spend time with your kids and to teach them God's word. Think of creative ways to teach them God's principles and his values. And then pretty soon you say, you know, honey, this is what I'm going to start doing with the kids. If you take the girls, I'll take the boys. And when I do my projects on Saturday, I'll have them come out and I'll work, work with me in the car. And, and you know, as we're there, I want to visit with them and I want to share what's in my heart. I want to share God's word with them. Or you might say, you know what, we need to take the family camping. This summer, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend time with them and we're going to impart God's word to them. 
I don't know what God's going to tell you to do, but you need to understand James told you that you don't just read something and go, well, I, I can't think of a way to do that, and give up. He told you to be a poetes. He told you to be a poet. He said to take the Word of God and turn it into a poem, a work of art, so that they can see the Word of God come alive. Not only in your life, but in theirs. Now, people, this applies to every area of your life. Husbands, God told you to love your wives even as Christ loved the church. And most husbands go, well, I do. I would die for my wife. That's basically not, that, that's not basically what Jesus was saying. See, Jesus did more than just die for us. Jesus gave up his place in heaven. He emptied himself of his deity, and he walked as a man. He came down to our level and tried to understand with us and, and, and minister to us, and he met us where we were at and what we needed, he took care of. What Jesus is telling husbands is, you need to dwell with your wife according to understanding. You need to come to her level, understand what she needs, and minister to her in the way that she needs it. So many of you men say, I'm not romantic. Let me tell you what romantic is. Romantic is simply being creative. James chapter 1, verse 22, be a doer of the word. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How do you do that? How, well, it requires me to sit down and think, and I don't like thinking. Let me tell you, if you want to live the type of life that God wants you to live, if you want to live a life without any regrets, you become a doer of the word. Not an agates of the word, but a poietes of the word. Someone who will read that and go, I need to do that. Boy, I don't know how to do that. I need to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I need to meet her needs. Here, she wants this. What do I need to do? And boy, you have to put some thought into it. Now, you always get mad at those guys that come up with it easy, like Jesse Miller. Jesse, I'm sorry. I love you as a person. But would you stop it? You're making the rest of us look bad. Just teasing. But being romantic simply is being creative. It's being a doer of the word. Now, some of you might be thinking, but I'm not a creative person, Alan. Well, that's not true. And let me tell you why I say that. The Bible says that we, were, that we are made in the image of God. And people, God is a very creative person. Yes, he is a person. He has emotions. He has a personality. We're made in his image. In other words, we're able to reason. We can come to logical conclusions. So God is a person. He's deity, but he is a person, and he is a very creative person. And you just have to look at our creation to see just how creative he is. Look at the animal kingdom. You've got the capybara. It's the world's largest rodent. It grows four foot tall. You've got the echidna, which is an egg-laying mammal with quills like a por porcupine. A sticky tongue. The most unusual animals you'd ever see. You've got the star-nosed mole. Who would have ever thought of a creature like that? God. He's a very creative person. And look at the beautiful landscapes that God has created. Here's one of a sunset in the Midwest. Now, people, that doesn't look real, does it? That looks like someone painted it with unreal colors, and we go, well, that can't be real. Let me tell you something. Our artist can't even come close to what God can paint to the masterpieces that God and the work of arts that God can create. Because God is truly the poietes. And what he creates is the poema. Here's a picture of Antelope Canyon. 
And here's a beach on a Caribbean island. Which if you want to send me there for a vacation, I'm just teasing. Trust me, God is very creative. And you're made in his image. Which means that you have the ability to be creative. It might require more effort than it does some other people. You know, it's kind of funny when our staff gets together and I say, okay, let's just throw out ideas. My ideas are usually 10 to 1. I'm a creative person. Now, some of my ideas are stupid. In fact, uh, I actually was thinking about putting on a big production for this Easter, and I took everyone through it, and we were looking at it, and Lisa and Drew both told me, ah, Pastor, that's lame. That's not who we are. That will attract religious people, that, but that will not attract people who don't go to church. Okay, okay, let's just scrap that. We're going to do something different. We're going to do an illustrated sermon. And we'll talk more about that later on. But I want you to understand something. You're made in the image of God, and God is the most creative person there's ever been. He is the true poietes. And because you're made in his image, God has made you creative also. Not only that, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. That means that you have this creative force inside of you. Whenever God did a creative work on this earth, if you notice, it was the Holy Spirit actually doing it. It was the Spirit that moved upon the waters. It was the Holy Spirit that came over Mary. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus used to do all the healings and the miraculous works. You need to understand that very same Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. You've got this creative force within you. So don't ever tell me that you're not a creative person. That's why... When James was writing his book and he came to, of course they didn't have chapters, verses, but when he came to James 1, verse number 22, and he said, be ye a doer of the word, that's why he didn't put ergates. Be a workman of the word. Be someone who just does the word. No. He said, I want you to get creative. I want you to take God's commands and you think, how could you best present this? Now, how many of you see James chapter 1, verse number 22 in a whole new light? Not very many of you. I haven't done a good job. But being a doer of the word takes on a whole new light when you truly understand the Greek word that he used. This Greek word that he used is telling us that if we can't immediately think of a way to do what God has told us to, then we need to get creative. And we need to come up with a way in which we can do God's word. Now, 2010 is a very unusual year. You want to know why 2010 is a very unusual year? Valentine's Day, 4th of July, and Halloween all fall on a Sunday. Oh my gosh. And by the time I realize that, Valentine's Day is already upon us. I don't know what we're going to do for Valentine's Day but it needs to be creative. And now I'm really put on the spot because I'm teaching this and my brain has gone dead. But I know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and I'm made in the image of God and the same for my staff and the same with you. And we need to use these opportunities and take full advantage of them. We want to get these, we want to become creative because these creative ways attract people to church where we can present the gospel to them. We also, as a church, need to think of creative ways to be a light into our community. We need to think of creative ways in which we can pull these middle schoolers over here or in some place, some type of outreach, so we can share the gospel. 
People, it's true. Our church is different, but we're different for a reason. We're different because James told us to think of creative ways to do the Word of God. And the reason he put that there is because God knew that our culture would change. And what worked in the past will always work in the new. And if we become old wineskins when God gets ready to do a new work and he pours that new wine in the old wineskins, it bursts. So let me tell you why we do the things we do. As I told you, we have four generations of adults here. We've got senior citizens, we've got the middle age, we've got the young adults, and then we've got the very, very young adults. So one of the things that we do is we gear our services more towards the younger ones. And we expect our older ones to be mature enough to realize that our church is trying to be a new wineskin so that God can continually pour new wine into it and we can present the gospel in creative ways to reach them. And I appreciate all of the senior citizens that come to our church, and I'll tell you why. You have to put up with a lot. I know you don't like our worship. I loved it this morning. But let me tell you, that's what's attracting the younger ones. That's the creative ways to be able to get people to come to church that normally wouldn't go to church. And they come and they go, boy, that's different. But it's different for a good reason. People, the gospel never changes, but the methods to present the gospel does. And so what James has told us to do is to be a poet of the word. We're to take the word of God and we're to think, how do I do that the most effectively? I'm telling you, I'm always blown away at how churches can do creative things for God. The church should be the most creative organization on the earth because we have the Holy Spirit. I met with Monty Horton Thursday night, Friday night, one of those nights. And he was talking about, he, he's at the church of Battle Creek, does their worship for them. And he was talking about doing the gift giveaway, whatever it's called. They sign up for it. He said, Alan, you wouldn't believe the number of kids. We raised $60,000 to buy these toys. These kids sign up. They have to come in to get their toys. We present the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, you wouldn't believe how many received Jesus Christ. And then we looked to see how many would return on Sunday mornings and said it was surprising. We had about 60 to 70% of those kids and their parents return to our church. Unbelievable. It's because they got creative. Let me tell you, heaven and hell are real, and it's too important not to compel people to come in to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are different and we are different for a reason.